So, okay. Well, tonight, as we've heard, we are on our last in our series on worship. And we've seen worship is all about recognizing that God's worth and um, that worship is about lifting up his God worth and recognizing it and worshiping him in song, worshiping him in um, prayer, worshiping him in just being wherever we are. Worship is such a huge word. Jesus said um, some 25 years before the reading we've just heard, in, as recorded in St. John's Gospel. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So tonight we're going to look at worshiping him in our spirit and with all our spirit, as those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, the reading we've just heard so well from Pete um, is all about just how this church in Corinth is wrestling with how a church should worship in spirit and truth. A church that was only formed through Paul's leadership some 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Our reading is from a letter, a letter from Paul to that church in Corinth about three years later after its formation. It would be helpful if you kept your Bibles open at page 1155. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 31. I'll be referring to some verses before and after our passage as well. So what was this church like in Corinth that Paul was writing to? Well, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, it's clear that Paul loved the people of this church so much, but they also drove him absolutely crazy. From this letter, you can see that his church was really, really alive, but was so struggling with many, many things. Let me just list some of the problems they had. They had such divisions where powerful leaders promoted themselves above each other. There was indiscipline amongst the congregation, heaven forbid. There was sexual promiscuity, and it was being defended in the name of Christian freedom whilst others, at the same time, were arguing for complete abstinence from sexual relationships, even even not being married. Members of the church were taking other members of the church to court. There were debates over how much of people's former lives should still be allowed. How much should we connect with the culture around us? There was also disagreement about men's roles and women's roles in the church. And some people were even questioning whether Jesus had physically risen from the dead. So, so many things to contend with. A church that was really struggling with all these very real issues. In this era, which was about AD 54 when Paul wrote, the church was so young, wrestling with so much. There was no New Testament as we know it, no written down gospels, little guidance other than what they could remember from Paul. There were no trained priests, no um, courses, no common practice. In so many ways, they were making it up as they went along. Paul's letter must have been so eagerly waited for, and then each and every word must have been read and reread. Many of the issues were products of that particular time, 
and the culture for this pioneering early church. Some may have been asking themselves whether it was all worth it. Some may have been asking themselves, what is the point of our getting together each Sunday? Well, Paul answers why in the chapter of his letter that we're reading tonight. In chapter 14 of this letter from the caring Paul, he stresses again and again the importance of strengthening or building up those in the church. Paul's answer for why we get together is to build each other up, strengthening the church, the body of Christ. Each of those disparate folk in that church in Corinth and all of us in this church in Claygate. Seven times in chapter 14, Paul talks about this. In verse 3, twice in verse 4, and then in verse 5, 12, 17, And then in our passage in verse 26, Paul stresses the importance of building up the church more than any other chapter in the Bible. The word in Greek is oikodome, meaning develop another's personal life through acts and words of love and encouragement. Let me just say that again. Develop another person's life through acts and words of love and encouragement. Isn't that great? Well, now in this small part of this chapter that we're looking at, verses 26 to 31, that we're particularly looking at, it mentions two distinct spiritual gifts that may not be something that you personally have ever experienced. These being, firstly, speaking in tongues and the interpretation of what was said, and secondly, prophecy. Well, in the church in Corinth, both were happening. And from Paul's letter, we can see that things were all getting a bit out of hand and out of control. And Paul wanted to guide the church to be ordered. He is not regulating how worship should look for all time, for all churches through the millennium. Rather, he is looking at this particular situation in this particular church at this particular time. He wasn't saying all churches should be like this for all time. And they aren't, are they? We haven't had a time of prophecy or a time of speaking in tongues here in the church today as part of our service. More about that later. But all through the centuries, churches have wanted to understand what worship, communal worship, spirit-led worship should look like. So this isn't a list from Paul about how we should do worship. It isn't something to follow literally. This letter was to a different church in a different time. But, and this is a very big but, we follow and worship the same Father, the same Son, and the same Holy Spirit. The words of Paul are principles we should listen to and learn from tonight in 2020. So are there any principles concerning worship here that we can apply our lives to? I think there are three, and I'd like us to go through them. The first one I think Paul raises is the principle of participation. Verse 26, if you have your Bibles open, clearly shows us this principle. Different people from all sorts of backgrounds gather to be active in their worship of God each coming with a variety of contributions to the encouragement of each other. 
bringing our gifts to worship together with one goal, to encourage each other in our walk with God. This is clearly what people are doing. Everyone is coming wanting to be active in what they're doing. Church, when we come together to participate, truly participate, isn't that truly a wonderful thing? When we're all engaged. In worship, God's works through each one of us, encouraging each one of us in our walk with him. So often, this is done through each other, but also through words of song, directly through words of scripture, and many other ways. When this happens, and we connect together as people, people that love God, then as verse 25 says, an outsider might say, God is really among you. Look at verse 25 in our passage. Verse 26 only lists some of the activities that we share together, or can share together. Elsewhere in the New Testament, in Acts and other letters from the apostles, we see lots of other ways we share, and this is a list you'll be very familiar with. Regular teaching and preaching, fellowship, prayer, scriptural reading, sharing of finances, the Lord's Supper. And not all of these are in our passage. These verses here don't mean that all people possess the gifts mentioned in verse 26. There is no talk here by Paul of all people exercising all spiritual gifts, or even actually one. There isn't a quota. There isn't a, a right. They are gifts, gifts from God to encourage each person. So, what 26 does tell us, though, is that everyone matters and that we are all here to participate, to be connected, to be active, not passive, not just here for our own good, but also for the good and encouragement of others around us. I don't know about you, but over the years, I've been to some pretty awful, boring, passive church services. I don't know whether anybody else has been to any. And when I think back, for example, at the services, um, maybe at church, maybe at school, uh, well, in my school, we had chapel services every other day, and no one really wanted to be there, not even those that had just formed the newly formed uh, Christian Union Club. These services were dead in comparison to our prayer group. But hopefully, too, many of you have experienced the opposite when God just melts your heart in worship as we sing together, pray together, or listen to Scripture together. Church is not an entertainment event. We in the pews are not an audience who are passive and come here to be entertained. One problem, I think, we bring sometimes to church because of our culture is our attitude of being a consumer, our membership of the consumerist society. And we come here sometimes, maybe subconsciously, wanting to be, wanting to just consume. Maybe even thinking without, maybe even without thinking, we may be here with the attitude to passively consume, not actively participate. I'm not saying this to tell you off, church. I'm saying this for such positive reasons. The more we engage 
with people in this building and together, then the more we can connect with God. The more we engage, the more we will connect with God. Previously, I used the word outsider when I was talking about what they might think when they come into our building. And my real hope is that no one here feels an outsider, that all can connect with each other, even if we've only just met you. Then we can connect and encourage each other this evening. Actually, can I ask you to do something? Can we have the lights up in the congregation again? Please. Thanks, Tim. Can you turn to your neighbor? I know you love these parts. Turn to your neighbor and just introduce yourself if you don't know each other. And then just your name. And then would you pray for each other? Would you pray that this evening God will meet this, this other person that you now know and that God will work in him or her? Let us just pray briefly for each other. Thank you, everybody. Well, everybody in the church has just been prayed for. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know that to actually set up the services, the five services we have, it takes 60 people to organize the services? That's a huge amount. This is not a one-man show. Patrick doesn't have to do everything. We could let him one Sunday and see what happens. Should we do that? <laughs> but actually, that is not how church should be done. We are the body of Christ, and the body needs lots of different parts, and we rejoice in the fact that we do, and we are all dependent on each other to make Sunday worship, to make this a place where we can meet and worship him on Sundays. That's exactly how it should be. So our first principle is participation. And this leads to my second principle, which is encouragement. All of this must be done for the strengthening of the church. Paul is eager for the church in Corinth and us in Claygate that everything we do should be about encouraging each other. The prayers, the worship, the communion, all should be to encourage everyone. No one should be left out. All we do should be measured by whether it is encouraging to others here in our corporate worship. So we have already spoken with this spirit of encouragement. So let us, church, be far more deliberate about encouraging each other. Let's be a positive church that when we meet before church, when we're having coffee together, let's deliberately try and find something encouraging to say to the person we're talking to. When we're talking, as we've just have, we've encouraged each other by praying for each other. After the service, where we chat afterwards, let's really try and listen to each other and encourage each other. Good idea? And then who knows, we might even do it during the week when we bump into each other. Or send somebody an email to encourage somebody. Let's build each other up to his glory. So applying these two principles of participation and encouragement creates a community here in Jesus' name that is connected together through the love of him and of each other, where we can learn from each other in love and common faith and trust in him. This applies to everything we do together, here on a Sunday 
and as we meet in the week in small groups or even in ones and twos. This leads me to the third principle in Paul's letter. The third principle is a principle of order. Now you can see all of the verses that he now talks about are about ordering this chaos that this young church has got into. It's about, again, that particular situation in Corinth. We see that the speaking in tongues has got out of hand. So Paul steps in. The chaotic way that it was being done had stopped being encouraging for the masses, for the majority, and had become discouraging and chaotic. After Paul lays down a way for the church to come back into a state of order that doesn't stop the practice, but encourages it and keeps it in order, then Paul says in verse 33, just after our passage, he says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. For God is a, not a God of disorder, but of peace. There is a, such a balance needed here. Paul is looking for order, not chaos. But he's also looking to get the most out of these spiritual gifts and letting God work in those people to build up these good folk, both in Corinth and in Claygate. Well, God hasn't gifted me with the gift of speaking in tongues. But I have friends who God has gifted in this way, who, as we see in verse 28, mostly speak in tongues in private worship and prayer, lifting up to him worship that is not bound by the formulation of English sentences, using this spiritual language to connect with God. If you look back at verse 18 and 19 of 14, chapter 14, Paul says about himself, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, then praise God. I am sure you, like Paul, thank God for that. But it's okay if you don't. Not all gifts are given to all people, but all people can worship. One key lesson, I think, of, of the biblical model of us all being part of the body of Christ is that we are all gifted differently. And that's completely by design. It's completely by design that we rely on each other, and we should. This is the same with natural gifts, how we're made from birth or developed through training, etc., um, it might be musical gifts or linguistic gifts or mathematical or great at meeting people and socializing, whatever natural gifts God has given you. But the same is true with spiritual gifts. These two are given differently to different people. But if used, all should be used to encourage each other as we participate and exercise our natural and spiritual gifts. I spoke a moment ago about the need for balance. Now, services here, believe it or not, are well planned. We do this in weeks or days before the Sunday. And as we prepare, as I prepare to preach, or we prepare what songs we are going to sing, there is careful planning. And this is a good thing. We do this through prayer and thought and study always trying to stay close to God, listening to his prompting 
and to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is working before our services in our preparation, in many people's preparation as we choose our worship, prayers, what we preach about, etc. So the Holy Spirit is working before. He is also working in the service. One thing I love about Scripture is Scripture was, in Scripture, the Holy Spirit inspired people to write down the Scripture we have. During preparation, when we preach, he has inspired what we have to say. Now I'm saying these words, he's inspiring you to hear them. You are also looking at the Bible. Words are jumping out of the Bible at you, hopefully, and he's inspiring you to see those words. The times after services, after I've preached, when people come up to me and say, I loved it when you raised this point. I know I didn't. And I love that because that's the Holy Spirit continuing to pastor to you just as you need to be because he knows you and he loves you far more than any human ever could know or love. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit of who inspired Paul to write these words is here prompting and inspiring your thoughts and your heart for listening to his word. Amen. I haven't finished, sorry. That was sounded... I'd skip over it. Um, <laughs> so the Holy Spirit does too sometimes deliberately prompt us from the front of church. If he's inspiring you to listen to his word as we preach, as we sing, as we pray, the great thing is he also inspires Richard and myself and others as we're up here to say different things and to sometimes, Richard, sometimes does it not go quite like planned? You sort of have an idea of something to say that isn't quite from you. And isn't that amazing? And sometimes, and we believe that's the Holy Spirit because we're following a living God. Okay? And so that happens sometimes. Sometimes also, we meet to pray before the service in the room at the back, and you are so welcome to do that. It happens about six o'clock. I was about five minutes late today. But um, you are welcome to join us. And sometimes when we're praying, we get a picture or a thought or a theme for the service. And often Patrick or Richard will share that with you. We believe that's the Holy Spirit speaking for, and might well speak into your particular situation. So a lot of what we're talking about, the principles of what we're talking about in this passage is happening today in the church with the same God, the same Jesus, and the same Holy Spirit. Because God is a God of order and of peace. He longs to bring you peace in your life. And amazingly, God chooses to allow for us to each encourage each other through acts of love and words of love. And what a privilege it is to do that. God longs to include you in his loving ministry to each one of us as we participate, as we encourage, and as we stay ordered and peaceful, loving and respecting each other. Amen.